All right, folks, welcome back to the opening weekend show, Mountain West Wire, MWCWire.com. Matt Kennerly with myself, Jeremy Moss. We made it. Offseason is over. We have three games, despite ESPN not caring about any games this weekend. Any games. Yeah, what's the deal with that? They must hate South Florida, San Jose State, uh, Colorado State, the Pac-12, BYU, despite them... There's a game on their channel. BYU plays Portland State, but they don't seem to care. We will love them twice as much as they hate those teams. Definitely. And we also got um, your your Twitter, your retweet about that on our account at MWCY got a lot of traction today. People seem to like it. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you're talking about, what, 10 different fan bases that are basically being overlooked, including three of our own? It's a little much, don't you think? Exactly. You would think, like, especially, I get it's not the huge weekend of games, like the official week one, but they put more effort into the FCS game. Like, North. it wasn't a North Dakota State um, Eastern Washington game a couple years ago that kind of started this thing. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. And they put a lot of press into that. It's like, come on. Yes, I get these games on CBS Sports Network, but come on. You got Stanford or Rice on your network? What's the deal? <sighs> anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's the show. Football's here. We got three games this weekend. So that means this show will not be 95 minutes because we don't have a dozen games to talk about. But check us out at Facebook, Mountain West Wire, MWC Wire Twitter. If you want to give us a couple bucks on Patreon, that's also backslash MWC Wire. We've got a few people there. We have a fantasy football league we have people signed up for. So that'll be exciting. And let's get to this. Since we talked about Facebook... Did you hear the news today, Matt? There are half a dozen games on that. Facebook. I am actually very excited. Uh, it's just, you know, one more tab to keep open on my laptop all Saturday long. Exactly. So it's done by Stadium. Do you know if this – I assume they're also doing Twitter games for the Mountain West? Because they're, like, trickling these things out like the Wet Bandits in Home Alone, the Battle of Water, I mean, you would think, games that are but, being released. You know, the way that news seems to come out these days, we're, like, less than three days now from, you know, this, the start of the season, and we still don't know what some of these game times are or how they're going to be broadcast. But what can you do? I mean, they will find a way into your eyeballs one way or another. Put it this way, it's a pleasant surprise yes. once you see more games can be watched, right? So the games we have, it's it's a blessing and a curse because if it's on mm-hmm. Facebook, that means everybody can watch anywhere. However, if you're on Facebook or a streaming game, particularly with the Mountain West, it has a better deal than, say, like the Sun Belt or even some Conference USA. If you're on this network, it means two things. You're playing the F. I have a rogue video here. <laughs> Ugh, Sorry. Rogue autoplay video. <laughs> I'm like, what tab is it? What tab is it? But let me get back to what I was saying. If you're on Facebook or where the networks, you're typically playing an FCS team or you're a bad team. And that means um, Utah State's pretty crappy, right? Or perceived to be crappy with three I mean, I don't know if games on the Facebook. 100% true in this instance because – you know, if you were looking for a way to watch the Rio Grande rivalry, you get New Mexico State at New Mexico. We know New Mexico is going to be pretty good this year. And, you know, we, we talked about Utah State in our team preview. You can go ahead and go back mm-hmm. and listen to that before you get hyped up for this weekend. 
but you know they get their game at home against Wyoming and we know Wyoming's going to be a team to watch at every opportunity too um you know obviously some of the other games might be a little rough you know Wyoming's probably going to paste Texas State at the end of the month you know Utah State at San Jose State I think is going to be a pretty decent game may not be the most exciting game but I would still expect them to be able to move the ball and score some points against one another mm-hmm but, I mean, if you're an Aztecs fan and you're not sure whether you're going to be able to get to the game two weekends from now, at least now you know you can watch it one way or another. So, I mean, I think, you know, if you're a fan of these teams, you're, you're happy that you have a way to watch it that's easily accessible and not, say, CBS Sports Network with its total absence of streaming. I should double check see what streaming they actually have, but you're right. It's like it's yeah, it's more football to watch. And like for some people, like I said, like I can't stream CBS Sports Network. Nobody can unless you have like uh, I think last year I'm gonna check right now to see what it is as we get to these previews here in a second. But I think if you had Cox and like Optimum Cable and some random off the wall East Coast one, you can get it. But that's about it. But Facebook Stadium deal, which will put games on Twitter, you're good to go. You can watch all these games. You got the Mountain West Network games that will. They, I'm, I'm betting, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, because this is yeah. on Facebook, but this is not a Mountain West, because that's the games, and I'm sorry, rambling, but the Mountain West Network games haven't been announced either. And there were, those games are on there too, at some point. And then there's probably going to be some games on Twitter. I didn't know Stadium was producing games on Facebook. Is that, was it, were you aware of that? I, I had thought I had heard something about that, but I honestly don't pay that much attention to it. So if it escaped my radar, I wouldn't be surprised. That's okay. I just know they're doing Twitter for sure because they're basically doing 24 hours. Like, they have that stadium journey show or whatever, highlight show kind of, the rally, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it's called. Whatever they have an evening, like, what, 11 Eastern or 1 Eastern or something late at night. But that's about it. I'm checking right now streaming options really quick for CBS Sports Network. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, any other news? Oh, yeah, we got our countdown. We're doing top 50 countdown. Do we want to lead off with that? We should. One quick note. I found it right here really quick. You can get CBS Sports Network streaming via Cox. Buckeye Broadband's new. Never heard of it. Fubo TV. I've heard of that. That's one we did not discuss. They used to be just like a football-only channel, like for if you want to watch international <laughs> soccer or international football. But I guess they have, CB, they have CBS as well. Frontier, which is not too decent-sized. Mediacom, never heard of it. Suddenlink, who are you? Wow. I'm saying exactly as it's, as it's written. Wow. wow. With the exclamation point. <laughs> Optimum and yeah, wow, question mark. You're not excited. Hulu as well and Optimum. So you would at this day and age, you think if you have a if you're able to access the channel one way, you should be able to access it online. There's that TV anywhere thing that's supposed to be up and running, I guess. But whatever. Top fifty countdown. We're at number. Should we do top top five? Yeah, I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, I believe we will be officially at number three. Don't quote me on that, but we can talk the top five. We'll talk top five. So number five, not Devontae Boyd. He's number six, UNLV. Number five, Andrew Wingard, free safety, Wyoming. Preseason defensive player of the year. Might still be a little too low, if you ask me. Where would you where did you rank him at? I I don't have my rankings in front of me. I'm pretty sure I had him fourth. I should have mine in front of me. I don't know. But five, 
I have no problem with him or David Moa being switched. Because I think nationally, Wingard probably get better, more publicity as well. I mean, I think Moa, though, at number four is you know kind of well-deserving of that spot because he basically came out of nowhere last year to be the conference's best pass rusher. And you know now that he's in a position where he doesn't necessarily have to play nose tackle anymore, if the guys alongside him can stay healthy, like guys like Jabril Frazier and stuff like that, he could have an even bigger year this year, which is kind of hard to imagine. Maybe, I, or, or I could see him not being as good just because with the they do lose a lot of talent defensively and teams will focus on it. But regardless, here's the thing. If you're a defensive lineman, you either get your name called a lot because you do great like Moa did, or if you don't, it's because you're getting double or triple teamed and another player on your team is opened up to make big plays. So it's a win-win, essentially. Mm-hmm. You do your job one way or another. So, so number three, who is that? Number three is San, San Diego State's Rashad Penny. With him not returning kicks, would that have changed your pick at all if he's, since he's now primarily a running back? I mean, maybe a little bit. I don't know if I would have dropped him any more than one or two spots because I still expect him to probably be the odds-on favorite to lead the conference in rushing anyway. And, you know, even if he doesn't top... 2,000 yards like Danelle Pumphrey did last year, he's still probably going to be really, really good regardless. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. Like, you could, because he was preseason running back, one of the first, him, him and uh, St. Juice running back for the first team there. And so it, it's, he's not going to put up Pumphrey numbers, but if you're a good running back on a team that's that's knowingly going to run the ball, what else are you going to do? It's He's going to be up there. Mm-hmm. So, number two, so we're down to two players left, Josh Allen or Brett Rippon. And I should point it out, and I'll point it out in the article once I post it as well. The two of them were separated by one point. One point. One point. Oh. So number two was? So, who was it? Number two was Josh Allen. And Boise State gets the credit again for number one because they're Boise State. Is that how it went down? <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, Brett Rippon was the freshman of the year two years ago, and he was probably the conference's best quarterback, you know, just looking at the overall numbers last year. You know, he has a little bit better track record than Josh Allen does. And while Josh Allen obviously has the tools that, you know, NFL draft next are already looking forward to, you know, picking nipping at for basically the next year you know Brett Rippon's you know with you know the college offense that he's running with the talent around him I think he's the pretty obvious choice if I'm being totally honest I would say with the Brett Rippon stat he's a better college quarterback but if you listen to our show with Justin Mello he thinks he has Josh Allen number one overall <laughs> next year in NFL draft and it's two different. They're two different games. Like we discussed the, as well. If you watch the college game, NFL game. Well, it's the same sport. It's really not the same sport because you have New Mexico, Georgia Tech, Army, Navy, Washington State doing what they're doing. Texas Tech. Then you have teams like USC and Wyoming and UCLA. All different parts of the game. It's still football, but it's a completely mm-hmm. different game. But 
and for the for this list, I have no problem with Rippin being number one. He's a better college quarterback, better stats, better numbers for the most part, better completion percentage, which is a big deal. And I think he'll have better numbers than Allen this year. So there we go. Go Brett Rippin, right? Is that how it works? Am I the Boise homer now again? We're well. Everybody should know by now that we're biased against their team. So <laughs> exactly. So one thing. I'm going to throw this on you really quick because we didn't discuss this in our mega preview show. We have bowl, I put out bowl projections. There are five bowl tie-ins. I put seven teams going bowling. Is that any chance of happening? I mean, I think that's reasonable if you expect Hawaii to crack 500 again. And, you know, if the Mountain basically dominates the West again in interdivision play in a similar fashion to what they did last year, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see five teams in the mountain finish six and six or better. That's actually, I believe, what my projection has. I went with seven because there's been seven since 2014 hmm. each year, or since 20, yeah, 2014. And even though there's only five bowl tie-ins, I, I, my prediction was first go bowl because they've not large bid, and then also take in that cactus bowl spot again. I think the only way that doesn't happen again is that if someone from the West surprises and pulls a couple of upsets this year, you know, whether that's, you know, Nevada, who's had, a, you know, some pockets of, you know, optimism that I don't necessarily share, but, you know, there are some people out there who think that they could easily rebound to six and six, or whether that's, you know, UNLV, who may not have a great defense, but can score enough points to win six games. To me, those are probably. I am officially. I'm officially being quiet on UNLV because apparently I hate them. Well, I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, if one of those two teams, I think, if they can sneak to, you know, even five wins apiece, you know, that could take away from, you know, a team like Air Force or New Mexico or, you know, at least in my opinion, Wyoming from you know, getting to six or seven wins, but we'll see how that shakes out. Remember my, one of my kind of bold predictions, no bowl game for Wyoming. He said it, not me. I did predict them for what it's worth. Here's what I had for the bowl projections. Okay. And I will do these every week because they'll change and I'll probably do them even after this opening week. Cause there's three mountain West teams and South Florida is a pretty big opponent and a team that mountain West will be chasing. I went with, uh, everybody knows I like the Rams win the league, so I put CSU versus UCLA in the Las Vegas Bowl. Mm -hmm. So you got Nick Stevens, Josh Rosen matchup. That should be pretty interesting. Then I put San Diego State versus Ohio in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl for versus MAC number two. If Ohio is MAC number two, that should always be a good matchup. And then for the New Mexico Bowl, I love this matchup. It's kind of me putting it there because it could happen, and I think it would be a vastly underrated game. Boise State taking on Middle Tennessee State. That would be a game I would watch. I'm a Brent Stockstill fan. That's why I ranked them 25th in my super early preseason poll back in January. And then Hawaii Bowl, Hawaii versus Temple. Sure. Um, Air Force versus Idaho in the uh, Arizona Bowl. Can I just add that Air Force would probably hate going to the Arizona Bowl again? Did they go there last year? They went. Yeah, they did. Oh, maybe that. Maybe I should switch it up. It's it's preseason. Give me a break. 
Uh, you, I mean, you, Frisco boy. I was going to say, because oh, I remember the Air Force fans felt slighted being, you know, a nine-win team going into the bowl game and being stuck with, you know, the the, <laughs> the bowl South game Alabama. that didn't have a TV deal last year. Hey, it's on CBS Sports Network this year, folks. That's true. And apparently there's a is there a press conference tomorrow on this, I guess, on Thursday for the bowl game? Uh, all it says is, you know, if you're not following the Arizona Bowl on Twitter, at Nova AZ Bowl, it just says that they're having a press conference to discuss everything coming up for this year's edition. So tune into that. So we do know it's on CBS Sports okay. Network. Next. Next up, we have really, and I think it'd be an interesting matchup. And then I think I may have made an error on this one: um, New Mexico versus Tulsa in the Frisco Bowl. Does New Mexico play Tulsa this yes, year already? They do. Dang it! Well, rematches can happen, right? They're not that they happen overly rare, are they? I'll have to make an adjustment. I did have, for what it's worth, I did have Tulsa versus Hawaii. In the Hawaii Bowl, maybe I could switch those up. Maybe Temple versus Mexico. Because they're both American teams. Alright. So that's a possibility. And then the Cactus Bowl, Wyoming versus TCU. Old school Mountain West. So, yeah, for the brief moment, TCU was in the league. <laughs> I went with that because I think Washington will make the Rose Bowl for the Pac-12 um, being winning the Pac-12. But I also think USC will get to a big bowl game as well. And so it's like what happened last year where trickle-down effect, there's not enough teams. It's actually, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's Pac-12-7. And so that's what we're doing here. That's how that works. And here's what we're doing really quick, just because I'm going to mention it now, just so we can, so when we go forward, um, the rest of the show you won't really know. You'll know what's going on this week and next week. We're going to break up each preview to its own little section. So up next, depending on how you're listening to this, you I'm going to make it tricky for people. because So everybody can hear the open, which is awesome, this part. You'll either hear, depending on your team, if you listen to it all the way through, that's awesome. That's great. But if you want to listen to your team, it might be your team next. It might be South Florida versus San Jose State. It might be a Colorado State, Oregon State. It might be a Hawaii UMass. I don't know. Because I'm going to pause right now. I'm going to the next preview. So if, if you're listening to just your team section, that's what you get. All right, time for the uh, first game of the weekend. First game of all of college football. Colorado State hosting Oregon State at the new, um, I guess we decided, on-campus stadium. Uh, well, if you Google Colorado State Stadium, the name it'll give you is Colorado State Stadium. No Stenny Lubick Field or anything, I guess? Nothing? We can always refer to it as the place with all the new Belgium. <laughs> Since they're having their own brew and section on campus at the stadium. I kind of want to go to there. <laughs> you want to go to there. Perfect 30 Rock. Uh, you've been there, but not to the, obviously the new stadium yet. I saw it go. You went, you went, when you went last, did you go a game there, right? Last year, a game? I did. I'm pretty sure this new place is better than. Uh, Whatever it was in the Hughes Stadium. For $220 million, it better be. <laughs> no kidding. All right, so this game, 12.30 p.m. local time, CBS Sports Network. As we mentioned before, if you could stream it, good for you. You're one of the dozens of people who have WOW <laughs> for their package. 
So, have you looked... I'm pretty sure we've all looked at the line in this game for what the projection, who's going to win, who shouldn't win, who's supposed to win. But for those who don't know, it opened at 2, minus 2 for the Rams, minus 4 for current projection because people are laying the money on the Rams. What's your initial thought on that line, opening line, or current line, I should say? I would have thought it would have been closer to 6 or 7 because... You know, Oregon State does have some things that I think they'll be very good at. But I they, I think that they have a couple more questions on both sides of the ball that Colorado State doesn't necessarily have. So I am a little surprised by how low the line is. Me too. I thought it'd be maybe a touchdown because Oregon State wasn't all that good last year. They had a quarterback battle in camp where the Rams had quarterback in place, Nick Stevens. Running two running backs in place, uh, one of the best receivers in the country, a pretty good offensive line with Jake Bennett and others. Defense, a few question marks, but I've just is it just because it's the Pac-12 thing? Maybe it could be. Fair or not, but I guess you play in the P5, you get that respect of some sort, even if you are Oregon State. I'm I'm not totally sure. So we know a little bit about Oregon State because uh, who is it? They lost a quarterback to Fresno State. They did. You know, Marcus McMarron? McMarion? Yes. One of those names? It's not Shoshery because we figured out that name, right? You tweeted at me for the um, San Jose State defensive back. I tweet at you with all proper pronunciations. But we are all way off because we all thought it was Shoshery. But we'll get to that later because we'll talk about San Jose State. But the quarterback battle, McMarron lost, so he went to Fresno State. And we got we know the coach, too, because you got Gary Anderson there. He used to be at Utah State. Was at Wisconsin for a hot second. He had, Hey, Chucky Keaton's on staff there. That's always something to look forward to. We all love Chucky Keaton. And they released their depth track. They're starting. Here's what they have coming back. Like, they're starting quarterback is oh, where'd it go? Jake Lutton, Luton. And Daryl Garrett, so I thought he's injured, but I guess the former Aggie, Utah State, he's, I guess, mm-hmm. technically the backup. I'm surprised he never got a ch- chance to win that job, or not a chance, but he never won the job because I talked to some of the guys from Building the Dam a couple months ago. They were ecstatic, excited, ecstatic beyond belief to have Garrett stand, and then he basically was laid egg and did nothing. From my understanding, it's that bec- it's Luton is a big dude like he's listed on the depth chart at six foot seven and 234 pounds and it's my understanding that what the beavers want to do is they want to be able to throw the ball a little bit more than they did this year or last year rather and they want to be more successful doing that um i believe i read somewhere that they want to incorporate some air raid type of stuff and you know having seen garrettson with his within his time at Utah State and having seen him a couple times at Oregon State, like, he never really distinguished himself in either place. Like, he was fine, but I don't know if he was the guy that you would necessarily count on to make a big play down the field. Luton does have a little bit of FBS game experience, but, you know, if you actually go back and look at what he did at Idaho in 2015, it's hard to take too much from it. Because he did complete 63% of his passes, but it was only 78 attempts. And he only had one touchdown against four interceptions. But that was mostly against USC and Auburn and Arkansas State, who that year were three pretty good teams. 
So I'm not sure how much you could take from his experience. One thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, some of the targets that I think you're going to want to keep an eye on if you're a Colorado State fan are super young. Like I was, I had noticed that they have a true freshman among their three wide receivers listed atop the depth chart, Isaiah Hodgins, who's six foot four, two oh nine, won a starting job throughout fall camp. You know, that's a guy that you'll need to keep an eye on in the red zone or something like that because he's got at least three inches off of everybody that's listed on the two deep in the Rams' own defensive backfield. And not only we that, two guys, the, Jordan Villeman. Yeah, that too. And, you know, and their tight end, Noah Togiai, who, you know, only played one game last year and then missed the rest of the year with injury. You know, he's back. He's another big target who could hurt the Rams over the middle if they're not careful. It's interesting. They say they want to throw the ball a lot because they got a new, fairly new quarterback because Luton was out, like you said, Idaho. But the running game, they have, it's a lot of players who were not in the team last year. Yeah, they have Ryan Nail back, who had 13 TDs near 1,000 yards. But they have Thomas Tider from Oregon, uh, Traverius Johnson, TCU, Artavius Price. They have a good depth of running running backs back there. So I guess they want to throw the ball, but why not run the ball with all these guys they have coming – or would not return – two guys not on the team, but they have a decent amount of talent back there. That's true. I mean, I think it's also worth pointing out that there are some spots on the offensive line that are really young, too. Um, you know, especially at left tackle, Blake Brandle got kind of thrown into the fire last year as a freshman. But, you know, he's out there. He's going to be protecting Luton's blind side, and they're going to need him and the guy next to him, Gus Lavaca, who's also a sophomore, really big sophomore. He's listed at 345 pounds. You know, they're going to need the Rams' defensive line to really step up and stop the run in a way that, you know, they were a little bit inconsistent in doing last year. You know, the guys that the Rams have up front, you know, Jacob Byes, Toby McBride on one end, and then you have, you know, someone like Evan Colorado coming off the other end. You know, these guys that they have on the line for the Beavers are, you know, much bigger dudes. So they're going to need to find ways to slow down this running attack. So, but looking at like the Oregon State offense, going just within the Pac-12, it's pretty dismal last year. They're basically the bottom third, if not last, in like yards per game, yards per play, passing offense. They weren't they barely passed, were barely ahead of Stanford. Running attack was even with the guys that are coming back, they're middle of the pack. I know the Rams defense wasn't amazing last year. They do lose Kevin Davis, but they do still return three quarters of their production. Mm-hmm. I just don't see Oregon State doing anything in particular offensively because, again, new quarterback, which could could be an upgrade, which they most likely see if it's Luton who got the job over Garrettson and McMarion who transferred. But I just don't see the offense. Maybe it takes a step forward, but maybe they get some points against the Rams. But, like, looking at who Oregon State played last year in their non-conference, kind of look at comparable opponents a little bit. Let me get that page open here I just had. But they only scored 26 points per game, which is not very good. And then when you look at like games, they they put up 24 versus Boise State, who is which not it's okay. But their other non-conference games were Minnesota, Idaho State, where 23 points versus Minnesota, and they're just okay. But they're when they played a team that was good defensively, that's where they really struggled. Score like six points versus Colorado, 
Um, they only scored, like when they played Utah, 14 points, Washington, 17 points. Obviously, CSU is not as good as that, but they also only scored 31 versus Washington State last year. So I'm wondering, I'm thinking, what do you think this Rams defense is more like Minnesota, I'm assuming, where it's just okay? I guess that would be the best analogy, yeah. Because, you know, the Rams do have some very productive dudes all over the place. You know, Colorado, I think, is going to be very good this year. Josh Watson's probably going to make at least double-digit tackles in this game. And, you know, you get a guy like, you know, Jordan Fogle, who really emerged to seize the free safety spot. But they're going to need to be able to make stops consistently, which they didn't always do last year. Yeah, the first half until the Utah State game, they're poor tackling, couldn't get anything done. And I guess the Idaho game is a little at the end of the year. But yeah, for, for, for half the year, we were wondering, why can't they tackle? And is Marty English even going to finish out the year? Yeah, I mean, one thing to keep an eye on is, you know, this the idea of stuff rate, which, you know, if you're not familiar with football study hall, stuff rate is essentially when a runner is either tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. So while on one hand, while I would kind of expect Oregon State to take maybe a small step back from being ranked 13th in the country, you know, it's worth noting that on the flip side, the Colorado State defense was only ranked in the 80s last year. So, you know, if, you know, if you're looking for guys to be able to make a few more tackles for loss, that I think is where the rubber is really going to meet the road. Like if Oregon State can, you know, chain together a few first downs, that could have a huge effect later in the game. Well, and if you look at the Rams defense, they they gave up, what, 30 points per game? Yeah. Can't, uh, can't do that. They were, um, yeah, 30.4. Even if you get rid of that Idaho game, 60 points, that's still, what, 28? That's still not great. But one thing I noticed is looking at a few things where he chatted about um, Gary Anderson chatted with, uh, who was it here? Um, not, uh, shoot, um, whatever, 102.9 in Portland, it looks like. Bald Face Truth Radio. Come on, really? That's your name you go with? <sighs> However, it's, come on, it's whatever. He, he was asked about them being a, I guess they put three and a half, but an underdog. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, you can give that to your team and let them understand. I was told that it's been a couple or three weeks when I was told that it gives you an, I guess that's a weird quote, but why print that? Basically it gives you a little extra edge. Do they, it's only three points. Do they feel slighted? Do you, do you think that's a slight being slighted? Cause you're playing CSU saying you're an underdog, but yet you won what? A couple games last year. If perhaps, that. I don't know. I was reading that quote. I should I should have pre-read that better because that's a pretty terrible quote. It's like, uh, maybe I told we were at one point not supposed to win or not favored. It gives you the edge. That's what they're looking for. So if we go to the other side of the ball, Oregon State, obviously they play in the Pac-12 where some decent offenses like um, Washington State. Washington was a pretty good offense. Colorado last year was pretty good. I would put this Rams offense – up against nearly anybody in the Pac-12 last compared to last year, for kind of since we're still at that stage where we don't haven't seen anybody this year. Would you say like who does does Oregon? Let me pull up the schedule here really quick. I'm get, it's kind of a fun game here, real quick. Who do you think is a better offense? I let me uh, let me rephrase this. The Rams' offense is going to be good. We know that. Let me ask you this: Who would you pick offensively, Colorado State or Washington State? 
Well, I mean, Washington State usually tends to be a little bit one-dimensional. So my inclination is to probably say that because of the Rams have a little more balance, that they're a little more efficient, a little more explosive. Washington had one of the best what offenses about in the country last year. Okay, I, I just mentioned, yeah. USC, yeah. probably better than CSU offensively. Okay, anybody else, would any of these other teams be better than CSU offensively? Colorado, Stanford, Cal, Arizona, I mean, Arizona Cal State, could Oregon. Move the ball. They just couldn't stop the ball. Um, you know, Oregon had its <laughs> moments last year, but they also could not stop anybody. Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I think I see what you're getting. I, I think for this particular game, up. the one thing that Colorado State, if you know, if I were Mike Bobo, that I would try to do is you know in the same way that they may be a little bit challenged against the run against Oregon State they should definitely take the four guys that they have in the backfield you know Dawkins, Matthews, Kinsey and Richard Body and they should try to establish the run sooner rather than later because if there was one thing that Oregon State wasn't great at last year it was stopping the run you know they gave up about 5.3 yards per carry and, you know, they have a little bit of optimism about the guys that they have along the, you know, the front line. And they do run a 3-4. They do have a couple of big dudes in the middle uh, in Kalani Vakamailalo. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. And you know, Elu Ion, who's been getting a lot of praise in camp. Those are big dudes in the middle who are going to be a challenge for guys like Jake Bennett to really keep them off the runners. But, you know, that was really where your talent was last year in running the football. And if if Nick Stevens gets off to another, another slow start like he did in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, you know, you have enough guys back there where if you can find someone to be the hot hand, that could be cool. a huge advantage in this game. All right, let me um, ask you about this. Since, do you, well... You mentioned Marvin Kinsey. Do you think he even plays in this game? I mean, if he's healthy, I don't see why he wouldn't get at least a few carries. You know, it's obviously a committee situation. You know, judging by the two deep, you have all four of those guys listed on there. as It's either Dawkins or Matthews as a starter, and then Body or Kinsey as mm-hmm. you know, the backups. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, maybe nobody gets 20 carries, but everybody gets like at least half a dozen. All right, just curious because that ACL is so late in the year. And then let's um, do one last thing here really quick. I have one player who I think will stand out in this game that people may or may not know because everybody knows. We've even mentioned Michael Gallup once in this game. He's probably the or is the Gallup, best athlete on the field. Gallup might be challenged. You think so? With because the Beavers do have a guy who was a freshman All-American last year in Xavier Crawford. So, you know, he's only a sophomore, but he's got a lot of talent. He had 10 pass breakups last year. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where, you know, Gallup is lined up with Crawford more often than not. You know, whoever wins that battle could play a significant factor in whoever wins this game. Here's a name I think is good with that matchup. Here's a guy who I think could have the biggest game that people aren't aware of. Olabasi Johnson. Is that right? Olabasi? Olabasi. Well, the BC Johnson, if he has, if Gallup's challenged at all, which it's going to be a good matchup, but if they're focusing on Gallup, this guy gets 21 yards per reception, a couple of TDs, 
look for him to maybe have a big game, especially with if you think about how the running game has the advantages against Oregon State, who can't stop the run very well. If the safeties or the cornerbacks can move up a little bit, maybe adjust their coverage to bring more guys to help up front, this guy can sneak behind somebody and get like a 50-yard touchdown reception or some sort of deep deep threat that's going to be available if the running game gets going because then the Beavers have to focus more on stopping Dawkins, Kinsey, or Matthews back there. That makes a lot of sense because if you know you have a guy as talented as Crawford on one side of the field, it puts a lot of pressure on the other guy who right now, Dwayne Williams is the other guy holding down the cornerback spot. And, you know, he was okay last year. He he didn't really play all that much and he's kind of getting thrust into a starting role in much the same way that Crawford was last year. So, you know, if, if Johnson is able to create separation, make big plays, yeah, that could definitely tilt things in the Rams' favor. All right, give me your game prediction. I like Colorado State in this one. I mean, I think that Oregon State will be able to kind of play to its strengths. You know, I think they'll definitely be able to move the ball on the ground a little bit, but I'm not totally certain that Luton is going to be as consistent as they hope he will be. So, you know, Oregon State will probably get some points, but I'm kind of expecting something like, you know, 30 to 21. So I have Colorado State covering this one. I have that as well. I picked, I did a little, we're going to have a Q&A up a little bit later with the guys from Rivals about this, and I put 31-24, mm-hmm. I want to say. Something where, no, you said th- you said 31-21, is that right? I think I said the exact same score. Let me find my sent email really quick. Because we agree on a lot of things, and that's if it's the exact cool. score, let's see here. Yep, I picked Colorado State Great 31, Oregon State 21. Exactly. And we're keeping track of this stuff too, folks. I, I am writing this stuff down, typing it down. So we'll actually know how good... <laughs> oh, spreadsheet, of course you do. <laughs> of how good or bad we are on these picks. All right. Let's... Um, yeah, so I say Rams win. You say Rams win. All right. Now we're going to talk about Hawaii versus UMass going all the way to the East Coast. <laughs> this is about... I, th- I believe this is the farthest trip they've ever gone farthest trip east anyway oh well yeah i guess you got sydney so that's probably never it's always never going to be trumped unless they go to what's farther than sydney to hawaii i'm playing in africa germany south africa something like that right minsk minsk why me i'm just trying to think of things that are relatively halfway around the world that that would be so. This game, you got Hawaii UMass. UMass isn't very good. Newly independent UMass. Currently, oh, we have some interesting line movement here. This game, really quick, kick six p.m. Eastern, three Pacific, noon Hawaii. I'll get the TV info in a second because it's a little uh, tricky. But do you know what the line is on this game, Matt? You still with me? I'm still with you, yeah. What is the line on this game? Do you know? Uh, It started at Hawaii minus one, but it has moved to UMass minus one and a half. How is that possible? That is a very good question. I imagine most of it probably has to do with the fact that Hawaii is going six time zones to the east. 
you know, we talk a lot about how hard it is for a West Coast team to travel to the East Coast and win a game. And this is kind of the exaggerated version of that. So, you know, Hawaii might be the superior team on paper, but with this kind of travel, I think it kind of erases that advantage a little bit, at least. I would say, because they left a couple days ago, I'm assuming, like, if this were week 10, week 6, any other week, I would I'd agree with you. But with them playing opening weekend, I don't see how it's that big of an advantage. I mean, there are some questions that I have about that. Like, one thing that stood out to me when I was researching this game is the fact that Massachusetts is going to be running two quarterbacks out there to start with. Oh, you know, Andrew Andrew Ford was, you know, the guy who started most of the time last year. And, you know, he, he did okay if you look at the box score. You know, he had, you know, about a 2-1 touchdown to interception ratio. He completed 60% of his passes. You know, he he was okay. He probably took way too many sacks. You know, his, his sack rate was a little bit above 8%. But then they have the other guy, you know, coming back, Ross Comis, who started, I believe, the first couple of games last year and was just not very good. Like, he completed only 40% of his passes. He took 12 sacks and only had 63 attempts. His sack rate was nearly twice as much as Ford's. It was 16%, which is like almost unheard of. So, I mean, I'm not totally sure why they would feel compelled to run this kind of quarterback competition, especially against a Hawaii defense that, you know, was a little bit bend but don't break last year, but has, you know, some pieces that, you know, if they're if they come ready to play and they're energized, could make this experiment go sideways in a hurry. Yeah, in Hawaii, like, I get the travel, but playing, it's week one. I They could do what they want and playing two quarterbacks, but I just don't see it. It never works out very well. Like, even, like, New Mexico had a strategic plan, like bringing Austin Apodaca to run the ball or pass the ball the more Jordan runs the ball. But it it never works out. So, UMass, what, what was their win total, like two or three wins projected? Hawaii has the better running back, the better quarterback, the better receiving group. What does UMass have, a tight end and two quarterbacks? That's the thing. A lot of their offense last year went through two guys. You know, Adam Brenneman as a tight end was probably the best in the group of five last year. He had 70 catches. He had 800 yards, eight touchdowns. He was by far their most effective weapon. But between him and Andy Isabella at receiver – you know, you're talking about two guys who, according to you know the game notes that UMass put out, they accounted for 52% of the total receiving yards that UMass had last year. So if you can slow those two guys down, do we think UMass has anybody else that can step up and kind of shoulder the load? I'm not totally sure. I don't think so. And Hawaii, like, they're... Not that momentum's a th- like here's like what I mentioned about Hawaii like, not to rehash like preseason stuff even though we're still here with the w- opening weekend, they have a quarterback in place, Drew Brown which they haven't really had, for like they had Akeka Woosley and stuff but he like last year was sort of in place but nobody's really like oh he's gonna be the guy he's that good, or they weren't sure what he had until hey we got your Drew Brown character stability is a big thing and them knowing, that they have Drew Brown as the guy. 
just it's complete opposite of UMass because like it's I don't know it's like you got one quarterback he's the guy and he's also had a full off season spring all that sort of stuff to be in the guy unlike last year preparing his backup and so that to me that's probably the biggest advantage and if you have a way to actually wager money in this game go pick Hawaii to win and like I guess covering if they win by if they lose by a point you're still good but they're not going to lose this game I don't see. Am I too confident to be saying that? Like, I don't see Hawaii losing this game unless something just drastically or some crazy thing happens in this matchup. The only thing I could think of is, you know, if if Drew Brown isn't quite on the same page with his receivers, you know, there were a couple of instances last year where he didn't have a great day throwing the football. And he doesn't have Marcus Kemp this time around. Like, obviously, I think very highly of John Ursua. I think Dylan Colley is going to be pretty good as a possession receiver. Ammon Barker could be a very potent red zone target. But if he just takes a while to you know, get rolling, you know, that could enable UMass to focus on stopping Diosamy St. Juiced. And while I expect Juiced to kind of get his, you know, all it takes is one or two stops to you know kill a drive change momentum you know and if they find a quarterback you know whether it's Comus or Ford who has a hot hand you know at that point anything can happen I'm not expecting that to happen but that I think is is the way that it does it it could it could be the case but like these teams like they played last year like here's the thing or yeah last year well, we liked Hawaii. It was forty-six to forty last year, exactly, and that was at home. UMass may have been a, a little bit better, but like you said, unless I, unless UMass sticks to the quarterback and finds the guy, like whoever it may be, if they play well, that could be an issue because Hawaii's defense they they've been they weren't amazing last year. They have a couple good guys on their team, clearly, like in our top fifty countdowns and linebackers, and other the secondary has some pretty good talent, but unless. I basically, like, I maybe I'm being too confident, but I think UMass is just that terrible, and Hawaii is good enough. They went to a bowl game, beat Middle Tennessee State. They have a solid offense. I guess my big concern is, like, with yours a little bit, like the defense, if something goes wrong there, or Ford or whatever, whoever's sticking at quarterback actually does something well, and they stick with that guy. That's how it could win. But that's kind of asking a lot, like, if this one guy plays well, when they're already planning on playing two guys. To me, I don't see. I'm not confident UMass winning. I don't think we're being a homer by saying that Hawaii should win. But give me a really good reason what UMass have. Like, what position besides tight end does UMass have better than Hawaii? That is a really good question. <laughs> None. Anything. And I don't think they really have much of anything. Because I mean, they have you know pretty solid safety in Jesse Montiero, but you know Hawaii has Trayvon Henderson back there. And, you know, UMass has a pretty solid inside linebacker in Steve Casale, but Hawaii has Jelani Tavai. So it's it's really hard to answer that question. Maybe Isabella, you know, with the, with the production that he had last year is a shade better than someone like Ursua. But other than that... Yeah, Ursua's a little unproven, but he's been the star of camp. And it... Yeah, like looking who they have returning. Like a few, I'm trying to look at a few other positions really quick here. A couple receivers clearly. They lose most of their offensive line, which doesn't help. Also, so they lose that. They 
what they bring back. I guess maybe I don't know. They got Shai Kai Holness. Is that how you say his name? Shikai. Shikai Holness had eight t- seven TFLs, two and a half sacks. It's not too bad. Or like Steve Cassell, but like you said, they got uh, Johnny Tavai back there. I don't know. I say Hawaii's going to win, and they're going to win. That one and a half points is ridiculous. Now I'm going to say Hawaii's going to win 31 to 14. I mean, I think it'll probably be a little closer than that because I do expect UMass to maybe make a couple more plays than you do. But I have them winning, I'm going to say like, you know, 28-17 or something like that. That's still a double-digit game, though. Yeah. So really quick, as we do this backwards, how do you watch this game, Matt? Do you know how to view this game at all? Uh, I do not have the article in front of me that we wrote about it. I know it's on some network that I probably do not have. Here's what I found out. It is on, there's no Robert Kekalula, which is unfortunate. However, I do like Andy Gresh, so he's on the on the call. He's actually, I listen to him quite a bit, or used to on the radio. But it's on something called 11 Sportsnet. Eric Freddy and um, Andy Gresh on TV live locally and stateside on Spectrum and Hawaii Telecom. However, there's there's again, here's a couple options I'm looking at. Video streaming, UMassAthletics.com, probably a cost thing. I know there's games on the uh, Mountain West app, but I don't think this is one of them. I did find out as well, I don't know if this is official, like looking at the, um, what is it, ISU.net, I believe it was. Mentioned that it's on like Nesson Nesson Plus, I believe, mm-hmm. which kind of me basically means if you have a sports package, and you the sports pack like the Fox Sports, Comtest Sports, uh, NBC Sports Regionals, those type of channels, you can, if you purchase those, you should be able to get this game on there. That's my best guess. I'm looking at the UMass website right now. It doesn't specifically say. It just mentions it's two days away. Maybe it's a free stream. Maybe it's not. It doesn't um, specify. So I can't really tell you if it costs anything. Usually these um, sports network streaming cost money. So look for that. We'll update you once we find out more information because it's all over the board. But if you're in Hawaii, that's how you can watch the game. You can watch it on Spectrum and what was the other channel I mentioned? Hawaii Telecom. So you're covered, okay, Hawaii folks? Cool. Rainbows are going 1-0. and All right, the uh, final game of the weekend, which there's not only six, and we got three of them, San Jose State hosting South Florida. Top 20 South Florida. CBS Sports Network is where you can watch this game. We will have our San Jose State writer, Ana Kiu, at the game. So check her out on Twitter. Same thing, Ana Kiu on Twitter, K-I-E-U. So check out her stuff. She'll be at the game covering it for us, doing some articles. We'll have our preview up by the time you hear this. But is twenty is a twenty two point spread too big for this game? In favor of the Bulls, obviously. I don't think so. Why do you say that? I'm not Okay, so generally speaking, I'm not overly enamored of the Bulls this year. You know, we know that they're coming into the regular season as basically a top 20 team. If I remember correctly, they were ranked 19th in the AP poll the other day. They're basically being propped up as the group of fives front runner for the New Year's Day Bowl. 
which I'm not totally sure that I understand because I don't think that they're that much better than the the biggest contenders in the Mountain West. And by that, I mean Colorado State, Boise State, San Diego State, you know, all those guys. But, you know, San Jose State is, you know, a team that has a couple of nice players, but, you know, they still have some serious questions that, you know, if they don't have an answer for it on Saturday, this could be a game that gets really ugly by like halftime. I think part of it, you're right, because there's a reason the Bulls are given a 75% chance to win and win by, I guess, advanced stats, say 12 points. But San Jose State's rush defense is terrible, as it has been for a while. And Quinton Flowers is their leading returning rusher with 1,600 yards. I guess that's kind of like that's like the the first question and the last question is how do you stop Quentin Flowers? Because you know more so than anybody this side of Lamar Jackson, that's a guy that could do it all. And you know we've talked at length about how rough San Jose State's defense was last year. Like we know Andre Chachery's going to handle his side of the field. We know that Frank Ginda is going to be flying around making tackles. But, you know, this is still a unit last year that finished next to last in the conference and allowing about five and a half yards per carry. And, you know, they were a little better defending against the run or against the pass. But that was mostly because, you know, teams didn't really have much of an issue running against them. So there's going to be a lot on the plate of the three guys up front. You know, Owen Roberts, Sayalosi, Latu, and Bryson Bridges. You know, Roberts and Bridges especially had their moments last year. They both, I believe, had... I'm trying to remember how many tackles for loss that they had. But, you know, they're going to need those guys to play big. You know, um, Roberts, by the way, had eight and a half tackles last year. Bridges had five and a half. So we know that they can play, we know that they can make plays, and they're going to need to find a way to make a lot of them against a quarterback like Flowers. So looking at, I'm going to kind of go big picture here because I'm not going to pick San Jose State to win, but looking through like who they've returning and everything, I honestly, you know why I think they're ranked? It's just because of Quentin Flowers and that's all. Because not, not nothing gets him. Clearly he's like, he's, very similar to what he could do as Lamar Jackson does at Louisville, who won the Heisman last year. But here's how I could see San Jose State giving them a run or any team beating South Florida. They is can Quentin Flowers replicate 1,600 yards where he doesn't return his best rusher from last year and Marlon Mack, they're gone. They had 1,100 yards. Maybe Dernis Johnson or Terry Stice could do something. I don't know. It's probably going to be Johnson at 8 TDs, 500 yards last year. Will he have 1,200 yards? Maybe, maybe not. South Florida loses two of their top three, two of their top three pass catchers. One was Marlon Mack, running back. They lose uh, Rodney Adams, 68 receptions last year. They have a lot of depth behind them. They lose two all-conference offensive linemen. There's, I, I'm look, looking more deeply. I haven't done a ton of re, like, well, I've looked at South Florida clearly, but not like going through the depth chart as much or seeing a little bit more detail who they have coming back more than glance here there. But I think they're ranked that high just only because of flowers. And if the Spartans are going to get a victory here, it's because their secondary is good enough. When they do throw the receiving crew, they have coming back. Isn't amazing. They're running attack. Yeah. We got flowers, but what if 
Johnson it doesn't run the ball very well, or some what like he's not as good as Mac was last year. That probably won't be an issue in this game for San Jose State. But how much are they going to want to rely on Flowers to run and throw for 300 total yards per game, 400 total yards per game? See, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. That it's all about Flowers because they do have you know some guys on their defense who are pretty talented too, like Theatric Nichols. I believe you mentioned, you know, he had four interceptions last year and the year before that. And when you're considering a San Jose State team that still hasn't even named a quarterback for this game, you know, on on the depth chart, it is Montel Aaron or Josh Love. And, you know, the way that it's kind of shaken out, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw both of those guys because they both performed pretty well in scrimmages throughout the fall. But, you know, you got a guy back there who can, you know, punish mistakes and, you know, make that kind of situation, you know, ugly in a hurry. But, yeah, I mean, it's I think the biggest thing is they're going to have to figure out how to replace Mac because, you know, as good as Flowers is, he's not going to be able to do it all himself. Yeah, that, that's my big thing. Looking through ways where they may not they're going to win this game, clearly, but ways where, oh, they might struggle here or there a little bit. But also remember San Jose State's. Or offensive line was what did they give up fifty sacks last year, hundred hundred thousand sacks I think. Does that sound about right? Yeah, six figures. Yeah, it was a lot. I remember the Utah game was like twelve or thirteen total sacks. And what's this offensive line going to do against uh, South Florida? It's like, are they going to sack Love four times or whoever's back there ten times? Like, the offensive line can't it can't be much worse than last year. And that's an area where if they're going to have any success passing the ball or even moving the ball, they can't get sacked three times a game. That just cannot happen. And here's where San Jose State has some opportunities to make some move. They're running the running attack they have coming back. They have uh, Brandon Monroe and Malik Roberson. That's a they're decent. Well, I guess Roberson or Ziggler as well. They have back there, but they have plenty of running backs where if they need, if there is an issue at quarterback. Just maybe they could run the ball to open things up because without knowing who the starter is and how they were inconsistent, part of it was to get the line getting chased every game. It's kind of hard to find a consistency, but if they could start off running the ball well, maybe that could help out the quarterbacks down there because you know how it is. You have a good running game, then you have to respect that. Mix in a play action, you find a receiver downfield. And that if San Jose State's going to have any success, that's what they have to do. They have the talent at running back to move the ball but they need to have that offensive line actually get a push and not get pushed over by whoever South Florida brings. I would definitely agree with that because you saw at times last year, you know, teams could assert themselves running the ball against this Bulls defense. Like the, the biggest example was when Florida State ran over them. You know, obviously the Spartans don't necessarily have someone the caliber of Dalvin Cook. But, you know, even in American Conference play last year, you saw that, you know, Temple averaged over six yards a carry. You know, Navy averaged 5.8 yards per carry. Memphis averaged almost eight yards a carry. You know, there was a stretch last year where, you know, they really got pushed around on the ground by, you know, Navy obviously is a run-first team, but you wouldn't necessarily think of the Owls and the Tigers as being running juggernauts. But they managed to do that last year. On the flip side, you know, you could see them shut down other teams like Central Florida, you know, South Carolina in the bowl game, UConn. Um, But I feel like the Spartans are somewhere in between those two extremes. 
you know, the hope I think is, you know, if you have those two guys back there, that you can be a little bit closer to the Memphises and the Temples than you are to the Central Floridas because, you know, if they had one weakness last year on defense, you know, the Bulls weren't necessarily great at stopping the run. You know, they were a little bit below average in the American Conference as far as yards per play allowed on the ground. It was right around four and a half yards per carry, which is, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. So I think, yeah, if you know that, you know, your quarterback situation is a little bit shaky, if you have guys back there who you know can be efficient that can get you, you know, four and a half, five yards per carry, you're probably going to want to lean on those guys to establish some sort of traction early. So... What would you say? Like, let's get to score prediction. What? Well, um, before we get that, is that how you think they could win the game? It would it take just running the ball very well and maybe a couple of defensive plays for San Jose State, like short fields or maybe pick sixes. It wasn't necessarily something they were known for last year. You know, be able being able to create turnovers. You know, South Florida, I believe, was one of the better teams in the country as far as taking care of the ball. You know, Quentin Flowers didn't lose any fumbles last year, only fumbled three times, and he only threw seven interceptions. So if you're expecting that he's going to do most of the heavy lifting for this offense, you know, you're going to need the guys in the front seven especially to try to go after the ball. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I like the receivers that they have, that the Spartans have. I like Justin Holmes. I like Trey Hartley. I think there is definitely some big playability that you kind of saw throughout the scrimmages this fall. You know, even, you know, last week, Jeremy Kelly had four catches for 140 yards. You know, that I think is a little bit eye-opening. And if you can find a home run player too against a defense that I think is susceptible to it, you never know. So what's your score prediction for this one? I mean, honestly, I feel like the Bulls are going to win this one pretty comfortably. They're probably going to drop 40 points on the Spartans. I kind of see it as something like 40 to 40 to 20. We are very close tonight as well. I am going with 38-17. So basically, we're both saying they're not going to cover South Florida. That's all the points to cover. Sitting at a 22 right now. That sounds about right, yeah. That's pretty much our show for tonight. We discussed three games, and we went about, depending what section you're listening to this, a good 45 minutes on three games. I think, Matt, we're going to have to tighten this up maybe when we start talking 12 games. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're going to quick hits. And remember, the way we're doing this now, we have the full podcast as normal. We're also going to do, if you wanted to listen to just San Jose State, South Florida, we'll have that chopped up for you. You wanted to just hear Colorado State and Oregon State. We got that for you. We'll do that every week because we've heard people who want to hear just their team. So you'll get that portion plus the beginning and the end. So hopefully that works for you. We let us know, right? That's what we want feedback. If you like that or not, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, where else are we at? Blog Talk Radio. You can follow our page on there. Let us know how we're doing. Pocket. Pocket Cast. You got a Podcast Attic. Basically, anywhere you got a podcast, let us know, right? Yes. Give us a review. So, we finally made it. The offseason is done. It's complete. We're just, uh, depending when you listen to this, could be one day, could be day of, could be two days from now. 
three games in the books. If you're a Boise State fan, if you're a San Diego State fan, watch some games. I'd maybe focus on watching South Florida to compare yourself a little bit. But know your enemies. Yeah, know your, well, I guess you're – yes, know your enemy even though you don't play them. But get to know how they probably are overrated, I'm going to say it. That's me, Jeremy Moss, South Florida. Colin, you can come after me. That's okay. I don't care. Probably not listening, but that's Well, fine. I'm also saying it. Oh, I, there you go. Matt's saying it as well. They're overrated. So that's our show for tonight. Um, we will have a recap show Sunday morning. That's kind of our plan. So mid, depending when you get on your feed, sometime Monday. And we'll be going Wednesday, Sunday. And we made it, folks. The season is here. Let's do this. And, yeah, we're biased against your team, too. <laughs>